know if I should play along or not and say the wait is over and all those kind of things, but it is good to be here this morning. I've been really encouraged this morning from all the conversations about our special contribution that we're having today. It makes me know that you guys have been thinking about that, you've been praying about it, you've been planning about making a contribution today to help out with the relief efforts down in South Texas. So um, that's really good to hear. It's really good to know that that's going on. We'll do that contribution at the end of the sermon. So um, something else that you can wait for is for that special contribution at that time. I want to give you a Project 9K update. That's our Bible reading challenge here at Netherwood Park Church of Christ. And so far to date, as a congregation, we have read 3,533 books of the Bible. Um, So continue to read, continue to report. I can tell from the pace of the last couple of weeks that quite a few people have moved into some of the shorter books. So things are picking up, so that's good to see. It's kind of nice to be able to start clicking some off like that. So continue to read. Also, be looking forward to the first part of October. We'll start a sprint to the finish with our Bible reading challenge uh, we'll give people an opportunity to kind of get back into it if they've kind of lost their steam somewhat over the summer. Um, we'll have a Bible reading plan that will be designed for us to read through the New Testament in the months of October, November, and December so we can finish strong, so we can add to our total, so we can be immersed in God's Word. You know, we do these Bible reading challenges because we believe very strongly in the power of God's Word, and we believe very strongly in the necessity of God's people to be immersed in His Word, involved in His Word, learning and studying from His Word. But we don't want to be people who just read God's Word. In fact, we don't want to be people who just know God's Word. We want to be people who read his word and know his word and live his word. And that's why our theme this year is living the word in the world. And we're in the fourth week of a five-part sermon series intended to help us refocus on that theme. And throughout this series, I've been using images and analogies from the world of track and field specifically from the 2017 World Track and Field Championships, which Kathy and I were fortunate enough to be able to attend last month in London. And in the last few weeks, we've seen that running the Christian race God has put before us is very much like a track race. If we are going to live the word in the world, we must get out of our starting blocks and run. Not be content to know how to run or be satisfied in telling other people how they should run. But we must understand that we're called to get out of our blocks and run the race that God has put before us. It was also observed that our Christian race is like the steeplechase. The Christian race that God has put before us has hurdles and it has hazards. And we don't get to choose our hurdles Each of us are called to clear the hurdles that are placed in front of us and keep on running the race. Then last week we found out that the Christian race is different than a track race. See, our race isn't a winner-take-all competition. We don't have competition against our fellow runners in this race. This race isn't won by grabbing what we want. It's won by submitting to what God wants. This race isn't won by seizing control. It's won by submitting to God's control. 
We don't capture the prize in this race by taking the lead. We capture the prize by submitting to God's lead, by allowing ourselves to be led. And now we are here in the fourth week of the series, and we're going to see that the Christian race isn't always about running. Sometimes the Christian race is about waiting. And not just about waiting, but waiting well. Before we talk about waiting well, let's pray. Now, Father, we are in awe of you. Father, of your power. Father, of your control. And Father, of your love for us. And Father, we don't always understand what you would have us to do, but Father, we know that you would have us do. So Father, help us be people who do, who live out your word in the world that's around us. Father, help us to run the race. Father, help us to confront the hurdles that are put in front of us and continue to run the race. Father, help us to know that our enemy is not our fellow runners, but our enemy is Satan. And Father, help us to have confidence in knowing that you have defeated Satan. The victory has been won. And that with your power, you will carry us across the line to the prize that you have prepared for us. Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Well, the picture that you'll see up on the screen is from the 4 by 400 meter relay. As you look at that picture, you'll notice that some of the men are running and some of the men are waiting. Each relay team is made up of four runners, and only the first runner on each team actually settles into the blocks and hears those commands on your marks, set, and then the gun going off. And for the other three runners on each team, they might as well be hearing on your marks, set, wait. They have to wait their turn. The second runner on each team has to wait until the first runner completes his lap around the track and then hands off the baton. And the third runner waits for the second runner and the fourth runner waits on the third runner. And they not only have to wait, they have to wait well. You see, if they start running too soon, they'll leave their teammate behind. They won't receive the baton and their team will be disqualified. If they leave too late, their teammate will run over the top of them and they'll either lose very valuable time or they'll drop the baton in the collision and the whole team will be disqualified. See, their job is to run, but only when it's time to run. Only after they have waited well. So let me ask you a question. How do you feel about waiting? How many people in here just love to wait? Do you like standing in lines and waiting? Do you like being stuck in traffic and waiting? Are you fond of sitting in waiting rooms? Do you like being put on hold and waiting, not knowing when someone's going to come on to the line? You know, there are some cultures in the world that wait well, but our culture is not one of them. We are impatient people. We don't wait well. 
I got a lesson in that this morning. We were driving to church. I got behind someone in a car and I became very frustrated because they were driving so slow and I wasn't making the progress I wanted to. I was frustrated because they were driving the speed limit and that really (laughs) frustrated me. We're impatient people. We don't wait well. Or maybe this will sound familiar to you. When we were in London at the World Track and Field Championships, every day we entered the stadium with 60,000 other people, and every single person had to go through security. So you can imagine the lines were long. And there were individual lines, and each day we had to choose a line, a long line, or a queue as it's called in Britain. And first, we would wait in line, and then finally we'd go through security screening and into the stadium. And every day, I would try to choose the right line. Because once you chose a line, there's no switching lines, and there's no going back in line. So what do you think I do after we get settled into a line and we choose a line? Well, like any other self-respecting male, I picked out other people in the line that were even with me when we started... Yeah, and then I checked their progress as we went through. And you know, it didn't matter how slow we were moving in our line as long as we were moving faster than the other lines. That was okay. But if those other lines were moving faster than us, even if we were making good progress and we had plenty of time, if those other lines were moving faster than us, I could feel the frustration rising. We don't wait well. And I know I'm not alone. See, our culture worships at the feet of a God that's called now. We want it now. Don't delay my gratification. Give it to me now. And we've also seen in our society that there are all kinds of negative consequences of not being able to wait well. Not waiting well leads to any number of bad decisions with lasting negative impacts on our lives. We see it all around us, don't we? We have seen what it's done to our lives. We have seen what it's done to the lives of people we know and people we love when we don't wait well. Because we're a culture that seeks the quick fix. Are you feeling lonely? Don't wait well. Instead, wake up in the morning with someone that you barely even know. Do you see something you can't afford? Well, don't wait for it well. Instead, just pull out a card and go deeper into debt and deeper into bondage. Are you feeling pain in your personal life? Well, don't wait well and seek out the help you need. Instead, just buy a bottle and... Numb your pain. Are there problems in your marriage that you're having to deal with? Well, don't wait well. Just walk away. We seek the quick fix. One of the things that we love about world championships and the Olympics and those kind of events is the medal ceremonies. We're all familiar with the medal ceremonies, right? First, the bronze medalist climbs up on the stand and gets her medal. And then the silver medalist climbs up on the stand and gets her second place medal. And then finally, the gold medalist climbs to the top rung and receives her gold medal. 
And then all of the hats come off and the flags are raised and the national anthem from the country of the winning runner is played as thousands of people stand at attention and stand in honor of the one who has won. Well, in London, we saw some very different medal ceremonies, and here's a picture of one. On your left is Kara Goucher. She's from the U.S., and on your right is Joe Pavey. She's from Great Britain. Kara is holding a box that has a silver medal in it, and Joe is holding a box that has a bronze medal in it. And their medals are for the 10,000-meter run, but the medals are from the 10,000-meter run in the 2007 World Championship. Not the 2017 meet where they were receiving them, but the 2007 meet. And the reason that they're receiving their medals 10 years later is because some other runners didn't wait well. They went for the quick fix. They took drugs. They were on a doping protocol instead of working to get to the top through hard work and training over time. And then years later, 10 years later, their doping was exposed by more advanced testing techniques. They were stripped of their medals, and Kara and Joe finally got the medals they deserved. And that's symptomatic of our world, symptomatic of our society. We don't wait well. We like shortcuts. We like the quick fix. Which is why I worry about people like these next two athletes. On your left is Armand Mondo Duplantis. He's 17 years old and already at the world championship. He's 17 years old and has already pole vaulted 19 feet 4 inches. On your right is Vashti Cunningham. She's only 19 years old. She also was a finalist at the world championship. She's 19 years old and has already high jumped 6 feet 6 inches. And probably both of these athletes are going to be world champions someday. See, they were finalists at this meet, but neither one medaled. But their future is extremely bright if they will wait well. If they'll avoid that temptation for the quick fix, the temptation for shortcuts. There's gold medals in their future if they are patient, if they have endurance, if they have the character to wait well. And I worry about them. I worry about Mondo and Vashti because waiting is hard and waiting is frustrating. Especially when it seems like there's a way out. Especially when it seems like there's a quick fix. Especially when it seems like there should be a shortcut an easier path to get where you want to be. And I worry about us. I worry about us because waiting for us is hard and waiting for us is frustrating. Especially when it seems like there's a path, a shortcut that should take us where we want to be. And as we read in the book of James, as we read James's words, it's clear that James is also worried. He's not worried about track athletes. He's worried about his Christian brothers and sisters. And he's worried about them because they've been waiting. They've been waiting for the Lord to return. 
And James is worried because their waiting has been hard and their waiting has been frustrating. It's clear from James's letter that they've had to deal with all kinds of trials and all kinds of temptations. All kinds of hurdles that have been thrown in their path. It's clear from his letter that they've suffered oppression at the hands of the wealthy and influential people in their society. And that's just the stuff that's happening from the outside. They've also been dealing with selfishness and envy and fights and quarrels on the inside in the church as they wait, as they wait on the Lord. And their waiting has been hard and their waiting has been frustrating. And the unspoken question that hangs over the book of James is a question that may sound familiar to us as we wait. The question is, why must we wait? Why does God make us wait? Why must we wait well? Why doesn't God just fix it? Why does the God who has the power to fix any and all of our problems, why does the God who has the power to solve any and all of our issues immediately, why does he make us wait on him and even wait on others? Why does our all-powerful God who could fix all of our problems and solve all of our issues with a word make us wait? I think the simple answer is it's because God cares more about our character than he does about our comfort. God cares more about our character than he does about our comfort. See, God uses our waiting. He uses our waiting to transform us, to transform us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. God uses our waiting. He uses our waiting to give us what we need, not to give us what we want. See, God uses our waiting to make us mature. He uses our waiting to make us complete. He uses our waiting to make us ready to run the race that he has placed before us. Which is why James writes these words in James chapter 1 and verse 2. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature, So that you may be complete, not lacking anything. Then in verse 12, he goes on and says, Blessed is the person who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. God uses our waiting. God uses our perseverance when we face life's hurdles. And he uses our waiting and our perseverance to finish his work. The work that he has started in us. He uses our waiting and our perseverance to finish his work in us so we can finish the race that's been put before us. Paul in Romans hits on these same themes when he wrote this in Romans chapter 5 verse 2. He said, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, 
Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. God uses our waiting to develop us. To develop our patience. To develop our character. And to develop our hope in him. Now we don't get to choose our hurdles. We don't get to choose our trials But we definitely get to choose how we respond to our hurdles, how we respond to our trials. And oftentimes the correct response is to wait. To wait on our all-powerful God. But when you hear me say the correct response is to wait, you shouldn't hear me say that the correct response is to do nothing. No, waiting well on God is far from doing nothing. See, there will be no gold medals in the future of Mondo and Vashti if they go home and they sit on their couch and wait. Just wait their turn. And our waiting won't produce maturity and it won't produce character if we just sit on our pews and wait. Just wait on God and do nothing. That isn't waiting well. And fortunately, James tells us how to wait well. He tells us in James chapter 5, I'll begin reading with verse 7. James says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains? You too should be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other for you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. And brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets. They spoke in the name of the Lord. And as you know, we consider those blessed who have persevered. And you've heard of Job's perseverance. And you've seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion. He's full of mercy. How does one wait well? Well, I'm going to shift our focus now. I'm going to shift our focus from London to South Texas, and that's a significant shift, trust me. I'm going to shift our focus from track and field to hurricanes, from Mondo and Vashti to Harvey. See, there are people in South Texas that are having to wait. Many of them are waiting well. They're waiting on God, and they're waiting on us, and they're waiting well. They're persevering under their trial. They're waiting actively like farmers. They aren't just sitting and hoping, they're working and hoping They're doing what they can while they wait for God to do what they can't. They're trusting in God, even when they may not really see much happening. And they're putting themselves in a position to respond when things begin to happen. They're waiting well. And today we're taking up a special contribution 
And as we do that, I want you to understand that we're part of what those people are waiting for. They're hoping, they're trusting that God is working and that God is working through people like us. They're hoping and trusting that God is working through people like us to bring relief and replenishment and refreshment and renewal to their devastated lives. They're waiting well. Shelters have been set up. Distribution centers are in place. Rebuilding headquarters are being identified. Names and needs are being collected. South Texas is waiting. They're waiting well because they're waiting actively. They're also waiting well because they're waiting purposefully. Like the prophets. See, even in the midst of the trials, even in what must feel like persecution, in the midst of their devastation, they're convinced that their God will keep his promises. Even in the ruins, they are convinced that God is good and God won't fail them. Even in the shadow of the storm, they aren't asking, why, God? No, they're asking, what, God? What do you want us to do in this? How can we bring glory to your name? And we're a vital part of that. We're a vital part of the purposeful waiting. You see, the people in South Texas are convinced that God is good because they know that God's people are good. They're convinced that God won't fail them because they're convinced that God's people won't fail them. So they're waiting on God and they're waiting on us purposefully. And because they're waiting well, like Job, they're waiting expectantly. They wait expectantly because they trust that the God of compassion and the God of mercy is working. Is working through us. Is working through millions of other people like us. Working through God's children who have inherited God's compassion, inherited his mercy. South Texas is waiting and many people are waiting well. But I'm sure not everybody in South Texas is waiting well. I'm not sure everybody trusts that God is working. I'm not sure that everybody's convinced that God is good and won't fail them. I'm not sure that everybody there is convinced that God is full of compassion and mercy. And once more, that's where we come in. See, those who don't trust and aren't convinced and don't believe, those are people who don't really know God. Those are people who really don't know the love of God. And in this tragedy in South Texas, I'm convinced that God is working I'm convinced that God is working through his children like us to show his love. I believe God is working through us and people like us. So those who aren't waiting well, those who aren't trusting, those who aren't believing, so those people will come to know our God. So they'll come to know the God of compassion and mercy, the one who loves well. I believe God is working through us so that those people too will come to know that nothing 
can separate God's children from the love that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing can separate God's children from the love that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, including Hurricane Harvey, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So my prayer is that those in South Texas who aren't yet waiting well, that they too will learn to wait with the lens of hope, the lens of faith, the lens of trust until Jesus comes. That through this tragedy, they will come to know the God of compassion and mercy because they will come to know God's children who are full of compassion and mercy. So that they too will come to know that with God, his until is always worth the wait until he comes. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will be glorified. Father, I pray that you will be glorified in the midst of the devastation, in the midst of the tragedies, in the midst of all of the difficult stories, that you will be glorified. That you'll be glorified because people who don't know you will come to know you. People who are wondering about you will come to know you. People who question your love will come to know your love. And people who aren't able to wait on you well will learn to wait on you well because they will come to know you in the midst of this. And Father, I pray what we do today in this offering will be one small part of that. Father, we'll be one part of that team that has been put together to bring your love and your mercy to people in need. So, Father, I ask that you pray that you bless our contribution. That you bless the people that we hand it off to. Pray, Father, that all of the good work that's done with it will be done in your name. So your name will be glorified. So that all people will come to know that you are the Lord of all creation. And, Father, I pray this in the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Say, Lord, like a shepherd,